after she passed, I remember just sitting there. Like, it's this weird thing where everyone tells you, like, you know, she's always looking over you. And I just remember being like, shit, now she knows I'm gay. (laughs) (laughs) Just being like, oh, no, she's looking. Sorry, mom. This is You Made Me Queer, and I'm your host, Trevor Campbell. Thank you so much for listening to our first three episodes. Uh, I've received some really, really lovely feedback over this past weekend, and I'm so happy to hear that the show has resonated with people, you know, queer or otherwise. Uh, Because, you know, whether or not you've had your own queer awakening, maybe you're going through one right now as you're listening, maybe I am making you queer, or maybe you will be going through one soon, maybe tomorrow is the day a soft breeze turns you queer. The fact is, I think that anyone can relate to the excitement of self-discovery, right? So so I'm really happy that this show has, um, you know, uh, made you feel something. Anyway, one of the most exciting uh, developments in this stream of letters and correspondence I've received over this past few days since our launch is, of course, the product endorsements that have come in and there have been a lot so I've had to be very selective about the kind of deals I make early on but one that I felt overwhelmingly confident about and very comfortable signing almost immediately this past weekend was a competitive sponsorship for raisins just raisins you know dried grapes which I've always been a big fan of ask anyone close to me and they'll let you know that this is true. Uh, So Raisins are now an official sponsor, a very lucrative sponsor of You Made Me Queer. Raisins. Have you had your handful of raisins today? Available wherever dried fruit is sold. That's right, raisins. Anyway, for our debut month of March, I have made the punishing decision to release two episodes a week. Why? Uh, You may remember that I was raised Catholic. That might have something to do with it. Uh, It also means I'm officially a masochist, but I'm very excited about today's guest, Shohana Sharman. Shohana is a Bangladeshi-born emerging writer, comedian, and theater artist. She is also a proud Muslim queer woman of color and is fluent in three languages. Three. And if three doesn't sound like a lot, how many languages are you fluent in, okay? Shohana is the creator and cast member of the critically acclaimed dark sketch comedy review, Dead Parents Society. Yes, I said comedy and dead parents in the same sentence, which we will talk about more in our interview, so don't worry. Uh, She is a recipient of the 2020 Queer Emerging Artist Award at Buddies and Bad Times Theatre, where she has also been a member of the 2019 Emerging Creators Unit and where she presented her first solo show, Come here often? Question mark. Fun fact, Buddies uh, was where I attended my first queer dance party that I ever went to in, I think, 2003, which is a long time ago. Um, I was probably wearing 
flared jeans. In 2019, Shohana was selected to join a TV writer's room with Innis Choi's CBC comedy Kim's Convenience, which you may have heard of everywhere. She is a former featured player at the Bad Dog Comedy Theater and an alumna of the Second City's improv and long-form conservatories and has performed in comedy and theater festivals across North America. Here's the thing about our conversation. We spend a lot of time talking about grief. Sometimes this is funny, sometimes it is not, but it intersects with Shohana's queer identity in some really important ways. So I think everyone can relate to processing grief through humor, even if you don't do it head on. Uh, sometimes you kind of come at it through the side door. She comes at it in a lot of different ways. We also discuss some of the comedians we're both inspired by, and in my giddy excitement, which is something that happens a lot, I skip a proper introduction, so I'm going to fill in the blank now. When I bring up Tig Nataro, an incredible queer comedian, and Tig's Largo set we reference in the conversation, we don't actually explain. So Tig's Largo set is an iconic stand-up set she delivered at a club called Largo in Los Angeles, in which she kind of politely shuffled on stage before dryly announcing to the audience that she had cancer. And somehow it was very, very funny. Anyway, I think that's all you need to know, so let's get to it. Please enjoy my conversation with the most excellent Shohana Sharman. This is my sort of podcast studio, and I'm doing air quotes, because it looks like I'm about to do a really low-budge self-tape. I was going to say you look like you're doing renovations in your house when they put up white sheets to protect the furniture. <laughs> you just look like you live in that. Yes, that's right. This is my summer home. I'm independently wealthy. That's incredible, and I'm so jealous. We're adding an extra wing. I'll have you over when COVID's done. Wh where are you? Are you in Toronto? I am in Toronto. I am just uh, chilling, doing some embroidery. A new hobby I picked up. Oh, is this a COVID hobby? Uh, so I've had like too many COVID hobbies. I've <laughs> gone through quite a few things. Okay. Uh, my latest is embroidery. Uh, this was the week for that. It's fun. So this is like a two-day-old hobby. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about it like it's been years. No, it's literally like 36 hours. You're introducing yourself like, Ham hey, Shohana, I'm an embroiderer. <laughs> yeah. I will say, I used to, like, I went to school um, in Bangladesh growing up. Yeah. And I went to an all-girls Catholic school where we were taught needlework. Of course. A woman's duty, right? Uh, yeah, apparently. So I picked up the embroidery kit, not really thinking of it, and then I started doing it. I was like, wait, this, I know this. <laughs> I've done this before. What are you making, embroidery-wise? A little text box that says, take no shit. And it's got flowers around it. Yes. So it's just a real sweet message that I want to bring into 2021 <laughs> for everyone. Mostly myself, but everyone. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. No more shit, please. No more. 2020 was a bucket of it and I'm done. Well, I want to, we're going to talk about that. But first of all, you alluded to having more COVID hobbies and I want to know. So embroidery is the most recent one, but yeah. what else have you been hitting? Like, did you start baking? Did you make sourdough? So bread making was definitely in there. Um, like, I mean, I think this is everyone, but I've gotten into houseplants hard yes. like really going all in me too and can i put on my botanist hat is that a pothos behind you it is a pothos behind me my latest plant is i'm gonna mess up the name 
It's called Repidophora tetrasperma. Okay. It's so beautiful and it grows a new leaf like every other day. It's so fulfilling. Like in a year where we're all trapped and feeling like nothing is progressing, to see a new leaf every other day is like such a mental health boost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just completely changed my week. Uh, do you know the movie Groundhog Day? Yes. I actually watched that. That was my other pandemic hobby because I haven't seen a lot of 80s or 90s rom-coms. So at one point this summer, I was like, I'm just going to try to catch up on as many as I can. And I watched Groundhog Day. Not a fan, not gonna lie. Not a, not a fan, yeah. I mean, it's pretty dated, but because every day, like you wake up and it's like, I'm doing the exact same thing again, I guess I'll wear the same thing again. It's like, is this the same day? But when you see a plant getting bigger, you know you are not being Bill Murrayed. Yeah, it's so nice. Toronto Life right now is doing a series on like millennials getting into plants and they show folks who have like 70 to 100 plants. So I'm like, okay, I'm not there yet. I feel okay. Because some of my friends and family have been like, is everything all right? Like that's a lot of plants in one year. I'm like, okay, I'm at like 15. That's not bad at all. Like 70 to 100. Talk to me when I get to 45. Then we'll touch base again. That's the threshold. Yeah. Until then, no one can say a word. And then when you, just 46 is when it's <laughs> going to be like the knocks on the door. Yeah, exactly. It's funny too, because like A, we're all, is the new world going to be full secret garden? Where like everyone's home, you open the door and it's just like wild palms and ferns and everything. Or... Are we going to get out of this pandemic and just be like, oh my God, I don't have to be home anymore. And all these plants within a week will be dead from neglect. I know. I feel so bad. I also, I really hope we come out of this being like, oh, we should all stay home all the time. Because I don't know about anyone else. I've really enjoyed staying home. I do miss seeing friends and family like that. Add that back in into the mix. And like, this is perfect. I never want to leave. Okay, so so Shohana, because you're a performer, you're, uh, among other things, a plant parent. Are you an introvert too? How would you classify yourself? I am an extreme introvert. Yeah, very, very introverted. I, growing up, had a lot of social anxiety. So very much have always been like, stay in my corner, watch people and like, smile and nod some people find it hard to believe the transition from like that to comedy but it actually makes perfect sense in my mind in some weird way like I could never be weird in person so I get to be weird on stage works out okay I always love that split there so you're saying like it kind of gives you permission or it gives you like it's it's like Shohana plus it's not quite like normal Shohana doing it yeah 100% I always say like I have uh I'm like two people stuck in one body where like people at work know like the work Shohana that's super profesh whatever that means <laughs> you have a top hat you are always wearing a blazer yeah tons of um mink coats always <laughs> but then I have like like my friend's version of Shohana that's very different from my uh corporate self, if you will. Mm -hmm. And then there's one more layer, which is like comedian Johanna, which is on stage. I just like, I, you put it really nice, actually, as like Johanna plus it's like Johanna premium. That's right. Like, the 110%. That's right. You have to subscribe. It's a little expensive, but it's worth it. Yeah, you get your money's worth. <laughs> this is making me sound like... No, girl, times are hard. Please, you got to spin it any way you need to, right? <laughs> yeah. That's funny, yeah, because I used to, I guess, be more of like an onstage performer. And so people would be like at a party or something, let's sing something, or why don't you and your brother sing for me? And nothing would make me cringe more than the idea of in a social setting, performing to people yeah oh my god my parents used to do that to me all the time when we were kids oh, and no. my brother was the outgoing one so he he didn't want to do it but he would just like do it and get it over with meanwhile like 
if they asked me to sing or like tell a joke or something, I would be fighting back tears trying to sing. It was awful. So people must have thought the last thing you were ever going to become is a performer and a comedian. Oh, like my friends and family still don't get it. They're like, how? How did this happen? Are you sure? Can we see tapes? We don't believe you. They, they are not convinced. Um, I was having dinner with my best friend's dad, best friend's family mm. last year. You almost said week. I was like, girl, if you're an anti-masker. I know. <laughs> I know. No, this was uh, last year. Uh, my best friend Danny just like told her dad, like, yeah, show Shohana does comedy now. And Danny's dad, David, he just turned to me. He was like, what? You're funny? And I was like, yeah, I, I, I don't know, David. I think so. But if you're going to ask me like that, I'm going to say no, because I don't have a good answer right now. And if you want to find out, buy a ticket. I'm not going to do this for free. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Shohana, we've never met in person. Mm -hmm. But now that we've met and chatted a bit, I feel like I can start asking you some personal questions. So I'm going to go right for it. Great. We know, we know a lot about science now. We know about <laughs> plants but we also know thanks to science a lot of things that make us queer it's a dangerous world out there there's definitely there's definitely some witchery out there oh <laughs> yes. my god literally you were talking about science and i led with witchery no listen listen there's a bit of science a bit of that you believe what you gotta believe yeah in my heart of hearts i'm gonna go with witchery i like that better because i imagine like a dark it's like a dark tent maybe and we have these people over the big queer cauldron just stirring it yeah the original pandemic some might say <laughs> the queer pandemic I love that that's what yeah. you're here to talk about so i want to know shohana what made you queer oh my gosh so many things i've always loved pantsuits <laughs> and the end the end uh i will say when i read the prompt for this i was like oh this should be hard to come up with but it wasn't like literally the instant i read it i was like Oh, uh, Charlize Theron in The Italian Job, like from day one. Whoa, yes. The moment that movie came out and I laid my eyes on her, I was like, you're the love of my life. How old were you at this time? It came out in 2003. I was 13. Okay. I am now 31, like 17, 18 years later. I'm still obsessed with her. She's just, she's so beautiful. And in that movie, she was like, her name was Stella, which is such a cool name. I was just like, man. Few among us could take a name like Stella. No offense to the Stellas of the world. Really? I was going to say, I think Stella, see, I'm so biased because I think she was the first Stella I ever met. So Stella has always been one of my favorite, like most glamorous names. I'm like, Stella. Yeah, it's so hot. So I was like, you're it. I'm done. <laughs> okay, so for, I want to go there in a second. But first, like I haven't seen you said the Italian job yeah can you give me a 15 second synopsis of what the hell this movie's about oh my god not really uh can I guess and you tell me based on the trailer sure okay they're in Italy yes I think they're stealing cars uh I can't remember what they were stealing no I don't think they were stealing cars I don't know. I don't even know if they were in Italy for the whole movie. I know they were in it for part of the time. They're driving around in Cooper Minis. That's what I remember. Yes. So that would make sense for Europe. Like the smallest cars. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, I haven't seen it in a long time. That's okay. And so Charlize Theron, if I remember, has one of those like, it's almost like a Kate Goslin, like a bit yeah. of like um, a bleach blonde, like swept bang situation. She has a blonde, like swept bang. There's one scene where she has it up in like a high ponytail and she's wearing like, not a cat suit, but like kind of a cat suit. And it's just 
cinematic perfection, honestly. (laughs) So when you were watching this, this felt okay? Or were you like, am I short-circuiting? Like, why am I feeling this way about a woman? You know what's so funny? I don't think it even registered for me that, like it did in a weird way, but I didn't know what it was. Like something registered, but I wasn't sure what it was. I just, I think I put it together later. But yeah, I think it was like, I had always been, had really close friendships with women that were like extremely intense. And I say women, but literally we were like seven-year-old girls. (laughs) (laughs) I went to an all-girls Catholic school and um, I had best friends who were like, so much more than best friends and you know like the cliche of like you know being in love with your best friend and never being able to uh say anything or do anything like that was me like I used to write love letters to my best friends but not deliver them or like you would give them I think I gave one once and it was not well received so I didn't give any more oh no (laughs) but uh yeah like so I lived in Bangladesh till I was 11 Mm -hmm. and then we moved away to Ethiopia and when I was living in Ethiopia I was still calling long distance to Bangladesh to my best friends to talk to them And this is like 2001 when calling long distance cost a lot of money. Yeah, because you had to just use calling cards, right? Yeah, and I didn't have access to calling cards. So I would just like pick up our house phone and dial like the international number. And my dad found out. He was like, who's calling Bangladesh for like 40 minutes at a time? I was like, no. uh." Oh, no. (laughs) But yeah, it's like I always just had this like really intense love for my uh best friends and you know then like watching Charlize Theron and Charlize Theron was like the first of many like there are so many movie characters where I was like I just I don't know why I I just I'm drawn to you yeah so it took a lot of uh talking nicely to myself to get to that place of like okay I think I know what this means okay so did those famous crushes kind of helped you along the way like so who were some of the other greatest hits after Charlize uh, I feel like this one's common but um angelina jolie and wanted oh and wanted mr and mrs smith as well but wanted was like a different kind of i don't know i just am into bad girls apparently yeah yeah they're all like badass girls yeah no meg ryan's up in here no meg ryan's weirdly (laughs) i feel like my my tastes have really evolved as i've aged and like my most recent obsession is hannah gatsby yeah of course right like nanette and uh what's her second special douglas yeah so i watched nanette on tv and like bawled my eyes out because it was just such a beautiful piece of art really it's become i don't know like i i watch all of uh, everything hannah's in i watch i like follow all of her instagram pretty pretty special and i saw too that you have been influenced by tig nataro yeah oh my gosh yeah so tig was before hannah gatsby i think it was tig for a long time it still is tig and the largo set when she reveals her cancer diagnosis yeah the largo set i remember listening to the largo set when uh it was part of this american life and i was at work at the time i was listening to a podcast as i was working and as it kept going like i remember just like crying at work <laughs> because it was so beautiful it was so like it was so funny but it was so beautifully done and i think in a strange way i also related to a lot of it because she kind of talks about like this 3 months in her life where she got sick she got um her mom died she got cancer like all of these things happening at the same period and I know in my life, like, there were two years in the middle where, like, my mom passed away, my uh, 
got my I got my heart broken. My relationship with my dad really suffered, and then like I got my heart broken again. Like it was all in this two year period, oh, God. and I just remember like I remember listening to that Largo set again after those two years, and I was like. I can hear it in her voice that like this isn't a joke to her, but it's almost like, what else are you gonna do except laugh? And I just loved that. I think that's where I have pulled so much of my inspiration for my recent work okay. um, that I've done. So I created and uh, performed in a sketch comedy review last year called Dead Parents Society, and the whole idea is that you know we are five performers who have all lost a parent at a young age. Um, I think. Losing a parent is always hard, but losing a parent in your 20s is brutal because all of your peers still have their parents. All of your peers are still complaining about their parents. And meanwhile, you're kind of stuck in, you're, you feel invisible. You feel like you're an alien where you can't connect um, to other people. You can't like function the same way they do. So I wanted to bring that group of people together to write about our experiences. And again, yeah, like what else are you going to do except laugh? So... Uh, really treating grief as a um, place of comedy, not at all to make fun of death, but to make fun of the grieving process and how weird and uncomfortable it makes us all. It's interesting. I mean, what I, I get exactly what you're saying in that, like, when grief hits hard, what else can you do but laugh? I think we have templates for that now, and maybe that seems a bit more of a logical response. <laughs> but I remember hearing that tick said and thinking like, is this comedy? Because people were laughing at a bit and then people didn't know what they should be laughing at. You know, I found it fascinating and incredibly relatable. But I mean, was it hard for you? Because um, let's say your creative outlet is like, we'll go back to embroidery. And you're like, oh my God, all these horrible things have happened to me. I'm going to embroider this beautiful tapestry chronicling blah, 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 blah. But because you're a comedian and then you want to talk about your grief, like, did that make sense right away? Um... To me, it did. To other people, it took a little bit of convincing. So I will say, like, so when my mom passed away, obviously I was devastated. Um, and, like, after she passed away, the first couple of days, I didn't even really feel like a person. I was like a zombie. But on the fourth day, my sister-in-law took me to the mall um, because we needed to pick up a couple of things because we were going to be traveling the next week to visit our family in Bangladesh. So she took me to Scarborough Town Center to pick up something from the body shop or whatever. And like the experience of like just having lost your mom, feeling like the zombie being like bombarded by loud club music at H&M at a mall. It was just so surreal. And I remember standing there and there was this kid um, who was running around just like giving his mom hell. Like his mom was like, Joshua, can't, please stop, like don't. And he was just like, wah, 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 wah. And I remember just like staring at this kid so hard and feeling so much anger, just being like, how fucking dare you? How dare you be mean to your mom when you still get to have one and I don't, I'm gonna kill you. Like I just was like raging on the inside. And, and that kid is like, why is this stranger furious at me? <laughs> exactly. Like I stopped for a second and I was like, oh my God, like I, that that's a child that I just did that to. That's not okay. Like it just was like burning holes into this kid's head. So um, that was the first moment where I was like, ah, oh, that's so weird. Like it's kind of funny in like a really strange way. Like grief is expressing itself in this really weird 
kind of comedic way. Yeah. Um, so that was the first time I had that sort of weird idea. And then as I went on in my grieving journey, you know, there are so many people who don't know what to say. So they're just like, time heals all wounds. And I'm like, uh-huh. Embroider that. <laughs> what else? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, what's really fun about it is like, when you are the grieving person, you kind of feel, again, you feel like an alien where you're not part of society in the same way. Um, but then everyone in society is just trying so hard to make you feel better. And then when they can't, they're like, okay, well, I tried. Right, right. Um, so even just like watching that, like how uncomfortable it makes people feel when they realize that they can't make it better. Yeah. Um, there's comedy in that. It's not, it's not, it's not comfortable. It's not comfortable, but that's where a lot of the golden nuggets are. Um, there are scenes in our show that the audience gasped at. Um, but then they laughed because like, what else are you going to do but laugh? It's, I think so much of it is understanding and coming to terms with the fact that like you are allowed to laugh at the human experience. Grief is a human experience. Everyone we know has either lost someone or will lose someone at some point in their life. So why not talk about it? Why treat it in this hush hush way of like, oh, like don't, don't make a scene in public and like, you know, get a self-help book. You'll be fine. Time heals all wounds. Just give it a year. That's right. No, don't tell me any of that. Like, just be honest and say like, hey, I can't fix this. What do you want to do? Do you want to go buy some popcorn? Like, I think that's what's so funny to me is like, it's a very human thing and we all try to pretend like it doesn't exist. And that's where a lot of the comedy comes from. Yeah, I, I think you've really summarized it in such a succinct and beautiful way. Do you feel like as a queer person, you already had a window into grief or that you'd sort of lived with the dark comedy of growing up queer in a place where it sounds like you failed to connect or you wanted to connect with all the babes around you? Yeah, still <laughs> failing to connect with the babes around me. Um, you know, it's funny. I think um, I never came out to my mom before she she passed. Mm -hmm. And after she passed, I remember just sitting there. Like, it's this weird thing where everyone tells you, like, you know, she's always looking over you. And I just remember being like, shit, now she knows I'm gay. Like, <laughs> just being like, oh, no, she's looking. Sorry, mom. But, yeah, I guess I think my queerness definitely is very much interlaced with my grief in that uh, I, I, still, I still wonder, you know, what, it would have been like to be able to come out to her for her to see me as the full person that I am. Um, I think one of the biggest quote unquote regrets that my, uh, that my family had about me and my mother was that my mom always wanted to see me married. Like that was a really big thing for her is like, I just want you to find someone. I just want you to be happy. And because I was never out, I couldn't be like, well, you're not going to like, seeing who I'm gonna end up with <laughs> yeah. but after she died it was this weird like guilt I felt of like oh my god I couldn't give her what she wanted like I couldn't you know she really wanted to see me married and I couldn't give her that but at the same time I was like if I had given her that then I would be miserable so right. there's no winning here it's a lose-lose situation you gotta be yourself yeah and that's another one of those things where it's like a lose-lose situation so what are you gonna do but laugh so I just kind of was like eh, well I, you're you're seeing who I'm with now. Hope you're happy. <laughs> no doubt. I mean, I have to think that no matter what parents say, uh, that they, I mean, not always. A lot of the time, they really just want you to be doing something that's true for you or authentic for you. Unfortunately, that has to work its way through a ton of shit a lot of the time. Like, 
religion and culture and gender and a lot of things that complicate that but it like you said too it is I mean thank god for humor there are so many times in my life where I'm like all you can do is laugh I read something that you said in in an interview which I thought was excellent too that humor's connection and grief is the lack of connection 100% I think that's what I kept uh going back to is like when you're grieving you feel like an alien because you can't feel the same feelings that like You can't seem to get through a day like a normal person can. After my mom died that first year, I had a schedule of when I was allowed to cry, where like I would wake up in the morning, I would cry in the shower for five minutes, get ready for work, go to work, um, take lunch, and at lunch I would pick a table that was like facing the wall so that I could cry in private. Uh, Then after work, when I was coming home, like I had to walk through a parking lot and that was like my cry lot. (laughs) Just like let myself cry as I walk through this parking lot. Like you come up with these ridiculous, this schedule where it's like, this is how I can function now. Otherwise, I'd be in meetings crying, Susan. So what do you want? Yeah, Susan with your gold rimmed glasses chain and your (laughs) turtleneck sweater. Chill out. Honestly, I love those gold rimmed glasses. Um, But it was uh, it was that where I was like, I felt like I wasn't connecting with everyone in a normal way. Mm. Um, And that was my grief. And humor is 100% like it's connection. It's uh, I always say like it's um, like a Venn diagram where like I'm sharing something and like I want you to meet me in the middle and that's where we have fun um so that's how like I think a big part of my grieving journey was finding those people those performers who also happen to be comedians who also lost their parents in their 20s and talking to them and being able to find those moments of joy in like a really devastating thing that happened to all of us like there were there were rehearsals we had where someone would pitch an idea and everyone was like, yeah, and that, and how do people do, and like that, why, da, 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 da. like, just that instant connection of, like, being in a room with five people who instantly understand, that is so healing, and it's so important, and I think that's why it's so important to talk about grief, it's so important to just you know, don't hide it. You're never going to run away from it. Oh my God. Yeah. And that idea of that Venn diagram, it's like, I mean, we all, I think we have that when we find our queer community too, like, oh my God, you get that? You cried in the cafeteria? You also were in love with your best friend? And then also to be an artist, which, you know, are kind of people who live on the fringes anyway, and then be someone who, you know, has lost a parent or both parents at such a young age. Mm -hmm. It must have been really refreshing to just have, A, have people who got that, and B, have people who weren't telling you time heals all wounds, and C, people who got in a weird way how healing that funniness could be yeah and like to find people who weren't telling you time heals all wounds but were instead telling you like welcome to the shit club everything's (laughs) shit and that's fine yeah it's so wonderful it's the best feeling in the world all of a sudden you're like yes what i'm feeling makes sense um and definitely about uh what you mentioned about like the venn diagram applying to queerness 100 percent um, I was talking to a friend of mine uh, where <laughs> a couple weeks ago where I was like, I think it's a date, but Ooh. I don't know because I can't confirm if she's gay. <laughs> and she was like, queerness, honey. That's that's the whole journey. Totally. Let's look at her social media. Let's figure it out. <laughs> like, it's so, but that's like, I can't, I mean, I could talk to like a friend of mine who was straight, who being like, I don't know if it's a date, but they would. I think it's just like a different language that you speak. It's I think with each new 
experience in life or like I don't want to say identifier but like with each new community that you're in each community has its own language 100% so like I as a Bangladeshi person I have the Bangladeshi language I as a woman have like a language within that I as a person of color have a language within that I as a queer person have a language within that and like where all of those languages meet is such a beautiful place like even like yeah that ideal person where all those languages meet (laughs) chef's kiss but even to find like people in those different venn diagrams and to be navigating that is such a wonderful experience and i think it's so i think being my full self feels so good because of that navigation of like i really get to be all of these versions all of these parts of me are seen yeah and um are valued and that's wonderful so it makes sense that you would find a way because your art is so personal and autobiographical Mm -hmm. that you found a platform for that that is so authentic yeah I think it took me a long time to find my own voice it really did as I said I was an extreme introvert I wasn't someone for uh you know sharing (laughs) uh I went a long long period in my life thinking like you know it's just it's just me like I don't no one needs to know like da 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 And I think when I finally sort of came to terms with like, yes, it's just me, but there are like a lot of different parts in me. And I spend a lot of time thinking about how to make the different quote unquote contradictory parts of me make sense. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, being Bangladeshi, but also being Canadian and like where those parts um, conflict, you know, being a Muslim, but also being queer and, you know, those parts conflict and there's so many other pieces of me where I'm always like it doesn't like society's telling me that these two things don't belong together but they do in me and so I get to live both of those things and celebrate both sides. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's tricky nowadays, too, especially because we're all these online avatars now, like, that's all we see of each other. So I think there's kind of like an implicit pressure to, I don't want to say brand yourself, because that makes me almost vomit. But <laughs> the, the idea to think about your character kind of on like, uh, on a professional platform and personal platform to be like, this is me. And this is the way I look. And this is my color palette. And yeah, if you can find that with authenticity, great. But I think there's a lot of pressure to you know, become a palatable character instead of like the contradictions of like, I'm um, a neat person, but I haven't cleaned my oven in three months, which is true, by the way. Yeah, (laughs) I feel you on the not cleaning your oven. For me, it's my bathtub. I'm like a very clean, organized person, but I would die if anyone ever looked at my bathtub. It's like, it's, it's not unhealthy. Well, in your defense, in your whole place where you live, probably the bathtub is a place that gets the most water action. So isn't it constantly cleaning itself? You don't want to overdo it. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to like... <laughs> it's like a sink. Yeah. But yeah, I think 100%, I think it's really important to find, know your voice, understand your voice and own it and totally. not water it down and also not let it become someone else's version of your voice. That's something I've really struggled with creatively where I've often felt like because I was leading with like, this is my experience, this is what I want to write about, I would sometimes get typecast into like, well, isn't this what you want to talk about? And I would be like, no, I sometimes just want to talk about dumb, goofy things too. (laughs) Like I'm allowed to be a person with more than one area of interest. Right. It's an ongoing negotiation. It's a balancing act. You're always sort of, I mean, again, what I, what I, 
what I go back to is like you're always navigating all those different circles and sort of finding where your where your fit is. Yeah. And so I think to go back to little Shohana, who was just like burning red hot for Charlize and her Mini Cooper, <laughs> it's like you get these role models. I mean, she was a little different than a role model or like these objects of, of fixation. And you get to take mm-hmm. that a bit, but then, you know, you evolve through that. It sounds like your crush stage number one was those, the bad girls. Yes. You know who was another one that I just thought of? Oh, God. I think may have been before Charlize. Michelle Rodriguez from Fast and the Furious. Oh, no question. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think she may have been before. I'm pretty sure she was before Charlize. That was one where I was like, woo. Oh, yeah. Because Michelle Rodriguez looks like someone who is always, even when she's your friend, she's kind of mad at you and you're not sure why. Yeah. Like she's always like... I could punch you at any moment and I'm here for it. Yeah. And why is that so hot? I know. I know. Why do I want it so much? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I see that. So it's Michelle Rodriguez, just to get for the academics in the room, the the lineage. <laughs> Michelle Rodriguez, Charlize Theron, uh, Angelina Jolie in, what was it called? Wanted. Wanted. And Mr. and Mrs. Smith. I mean, there were many in between that I'm sure I'm forgetting. Wanted didn't come out till I was 17, I think. What about in Tomb Raider when she's in that, she's running around in like a Lycra bodysuit? the whole movie yeah i don't know why i didn't get into that i think i don't like anyone too active that seems like a lot of work yeah that's i'm not keeping up with that girl yeah i'm tired just watching you stay at home with the plants (laughs) okay so she ran off and then you at some point we skip a few we flash forward to later shohana with sort of like I don't know how you classify them, but those comedy gals, the Tiggs, the Hannah Gatsby's, mm-hmm. and now you are in your uh, your present state, the person I see before me through camera on Zoom. Yeah, and still 1,000% obsessed with Hannah Gatsby. <laughs> like, probably going to go check out her Instagram after this to see what she's up to. <laughs> and on the flip, Hannah, if you're listening, uh, slide into those DMs, girl. <sighs> Don't tempt me. Could you imagine? (laughs) I would die. So I could talk to you about this all day. But before uh, I let you go, which I have to do soon because you have um, a post-COVID life to get ready for, (laughs) we are going to play a game. Oh, okay. This is fun. Yes. This game is called Queer, Queerer, Queerist. Okay. Because it's hard to say. (laughs) So here's the game. The rules are very easy. I'm going to give you three things. You have to put them in order from least queer to most queer and tell me why. This. Any questions about the rules, Johanna? No, I am scared, <laughs> but in a good way. <laughs> okay, okay, let's try this. Okay, three things. Curious George. Okay. Grocery store product demos. <laughs> okay. Number three, fireworks in the shape of something like a, a piece of fruit or animals or something. Okay, fireworks in the shape of something queerest. Whoa, okay. To me, it's just like, it's fabulous. It's loud. It's so out there. I love it. When you think of that firework, any specific thing that is in the shape of? I mean, I think this is influenced by Curious George, but I instantly saw a banana. Okay, all right. A banana firework (laughs) is so out there. I love it. I thought you were going to say like Michelle Rodriguez's face. Oh. Can you, that'd be a complicated firework. The fireworks wouldn't capture it all. <laughs> it's true. You can't <laughs> yeah, do it. Yeah, it's too beautiful. Okay. Um, Curious George and grocery store demos. I That's really hard. I feel like, I feel like Curious George is pretty queer. Okay, do tell. But I also think grocery store, grocery store demos is a little bit queerer just because there's like demonstration and like hand gestures involved. <laughs> and that to me is just like. 
a little bit queerer than Curious Wait. George, but it's a close call. <laughs> so, <laughs> hand, hand gestures. You're like you just wrote that off. You're like obviously queer. What's queer about hand gestures? You mean like, well, like I bent think... wrists and that kind of jazz? Did you just read me? Not not really bent wrists, but just like there's an idea of like showmanship. Oh yes, which is very queer yes. to me. Like that's what I like QVC. All of those, like, shopping channel or whatever, those are so, so fun to me. Like, um, so those are, like, I don't know. There's just something about, like, the showmanship of a grocery store demo that is very queer to me. All right, I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah. And then so you said least as Curious George. (laughs) Yeah, I just, I think it's a really close call. I don't, I also feel like I haven't seen a photo of Curious George in a long time. So maybe he's gotten (laughs) queerer since I last saw him. (laughs) Yeah, I guess he got into a lot of mischief. Like, he was always climbing up things he shouldn't be, uh, eating things, getting kidnapped. That's my guess. Yeah, I just feel like I imagine, I I will say, I put uh, the grocery store demo person, like, I gave them a voice where they're just, like, really trying to sell this one product. I can't think of a voice for Curious George, and I think that's why he's not as queer to me. I guess if he had a voice, he'd just be like, come on, kid. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he sounds like sort of like an old-timey, like, moonshiner. Yeah, he's a 1930s gangster. <laughs> like a prospector or something. Yeah, come on, kid. <laughs> There's gold in these mines. Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah, okay, I'll take it. So final word uh, from Shohana. Curious George, least queer, just to recap. Product demonstrations, like the steam mop. Yes. Queer, but not super queer. And then a big firework burst of Michelle Rodriguez's face with a taut ponytail <laughs> is the queer mecca. Yeah. Oh, the ultimate. <laughs> oh, God. And Shohana, thank you so much for being here. Anything you want to plug? Um, no. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Instagram at Soliam, S-O-L-E-A-H-M. And you can also follow Dead Parent Society, my um, sketch comedy review, at DPS Sketch Show. Do it. You know you're a legit introvert when you're like, I'm a comedian and I have nothing to plug. I have nothing going on in my life except embroidery plants. Yeah, and she's the pothos behind her is uh, robust, I would say, in the prime of its life. So you could plug that if you want. So, Shohana, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I do want to also let you know that a lot of things made me queer, but this conversation has made me queerer. Oh my gosh, me too. Thank you so much for having (laughs) me. I'm so happy to have become a little more queer through this. (laughs) The pleasure was mine. Okay, you stay safe and you give those plants some love. I will. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. Okay, so that's our show. Thank you so much, Ohana. No mailbag today, but I want to let you know two things. One, the show is obviously not just for queer people, so maybe you don't have a queer awakening story to write in with for the You Made Me Queer mailbag. That is fine. But if you do, now is the time to send it in because your odds of getting it read are very high. Once those emails start pouring in, your odds decrease. But right now, it is a seller's market for you and your story. You are the seller in this situation. Although I am not paying for your letter, uh, so I am not a buyer, you are donating it. So I am a recipient. It's a donator's market. The metaphor holds, listen, the point is, you can send in your own queer awakening story to youmademequeer@gmail.com. If you have one, if you don't, it's fine. That's all I'm trying to say. What's the problem here? Okay, I'm sorry. It's fine. We'll talk about it later. Oh yeah, one more thing. If you like this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. I know it sounds very cliche, but it is very important. Uh, So wherever you get your podcasts, send You Made Me Queer a little bit of love. Okay, cue credits. Cue credits.
You Made Me Queer is created, produced, and edited by me, Trevor Campbell. Our theme song is by Critty. For more from music, check out lavenderbruisers.bandcamp.com. Our website is youmademequeer.com. Our Instagram handle is at youmademequeer. New episodes of You Made Me Queer come out every Thursday, but for our debut month, this month, we'll also be releasing new episodes every Monday. That's today. Can you handle it? I can't. I would like to take a break. I'm going on vacation. Until next time, remember, we're here, we're queer, and it's your fault.